What is up, guys? Welcome into From the Box Office, episode nine. I'm Vince here with my co-host Mike, and yeah, uh, today, today we got a relatively short one compared to last week. We're going to talk a little The Last of Us, talk a little uh, Mandalorian season three, uh, some news, and then give you guys our uh, six pack for the weekend. Yeah, man, that's all we got. No movies uh, to review. Uh, might see uh, might, gonna... th- might see Creed three this weekend. I don't know if you plan on seeing it, but we could definitely yeah. talk about that next week. Yeah, probably next week. Uh, yeah, probably. I'll probably see that sometime next week. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things, so I'm very excited. Yeah, I heard it's the best of the trilogy, and I mean, we'll get into what we've been currently watching a little later. But I have been binging uh, that franchise. Right on. All right, we can start off with some news. Uh, as always, we always start with a little our nerdy, our nerdy MCU news. Uh, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania uh, is having a huge decline at the box office during their second weekend. Uh, they dropped in, or they racked in 32.2 million in their second domestic weekend, which was a 69% drop, and is the biggest second weekend decline for any MCU movie. Uh, I don't think Disney would be happy with that. Yeah, honestly, it's a little shocking because it seems like audiences are receiving it pretty well. Like I know, I know I'm lower on it, but I think the Rotten Tomatoes fan approval score is like 84%. So. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I guess like word of mouth from critics is getting around and maybe that's drawing away some of the people that aren't diehard MCU fans. But it is interesting. Yeah, Disney will definitely not be happy about that. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, superhero fatigue or because right now the box office isn't really competitive yet. I know the rest of the month of March, it's going to be pretty jam packed, starting with Creed this weekend. But I like it was overtaken by like Cocaine Bear. Uh, while, <laughs> yeah. while I loved, but that's currently the number one movie at the box office. It's kind of a little, it's a little crazy. For Honestly, what, what an underdog story. I still have to really see is. Cocaine Bear, and I'm, I'm excited to see it at some point. But uh, what an underdog story to overtake a Marvel movie in yeah. its, what, second or third week? Yeah, this is its this is upcoming second weekend. Right now, it just started. So, just yeah. released last week. Pretty crazy. Uh, we only have one other... Of course, some news from uh, Marvel. Uh, Nate Moore, he's uh, one of the producers on Captain America New World Order. Uh, he says they're beginning filming in the, within the next three weeks. Uh, cool. Yeah, so it's first time we'll see Anthony Mackie as uh, the new Captain America. Uh, we'll get some of Sebastian Stan's Bucky Barnes, I would assume. Uh, Harrison Ford's first uh work in the mcu as thunderbolt ross i i am very excited to see harrison ford in the mcu yeah i'm excited to see it like it like is he gonna care or is he gonna be kind of nonchalant i don't give a shit like he could he could have a great performance uh, I, I know we haven't seen a lot of thunderbolt ross in a while in the mcu so uh it'll be interesting to see like what level he takes that character to uh, just in general, I'm very excited to see Anthony Mackie step into the mm-hmm. role. Um, Bucky is one of my favorite characters in the MCU, so I'm excited to see more uh, Sebastian Stan and see where they go with these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm blanking on the name of the villain that they're bringing back. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bringing, sure. Um, it's played by Tim Blake Nelson yes. from the Ed Norton. The Thinker, uh, right? So, or, yeah, something. Uh... I'm going to have to Google it, but... I, I know that that villain, people do like him, as far as I know. I am a big fan of Tim Blake Nelson. He's usually very, very funny. 
He played Samuel Stearns. Samuel Stearns. What's like the the leader? The leader. I don't know. The thinker must be a DC guy. Yeah, the thinker is a yeah. It's a, a Flash villain. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll get yeah. Tim Blake Nelson back as the villain. Uh, about what's that? Two. I think that was two thousand five. So you know, two decades later, he's returning to yeah the MCU. Don't really know what to expect with Captain America New World Order, but, uh, you know, I'm here for the ride. I'm cool with the characters. Uh, I'm sure they'll come up with something good for it. It's a linchpin character, even if it isn't uh, Steve Rogers anymore. That's still something you can't afford to fuck up. Captain America, mm-hmm. the, the identity is still a big thing in the MCU. So I'll be I also like I really am excited to see if because, you know, people still have those like rumors of like, oh, I think uh, Steve Rogers is still alive in the MCU. And, you know, mm-hmm. where is he? Like, I wonder if they ever do have him pop up as an old man. So that's a possibility in that movie. Yeah, I feel like they would have. I feel like it would have been like a bigger thing in Falcon and the Winter Soldier if Steve Rogers actually passed. Yeah, they haven't really made Real a big deal of that. Thing. They made like that exhibit or whatever, but they never explicitly said that he passed. So I'm interested to see if Chris Evans pops up in some uh, the opposite of what they did for De Niro and the Irishman. Exactly. Age him up. Yeah. Uh, outside of the MCU, we did get some Marvel or not Marvel, some Star Wars news uh, outside of the Mandalorian. Uh, we got some news for the Acolyte, uh, an upcoming it's like a mystery series set during like the High Republic era. Uh, they announced that Alex Garcia Lopez from uh, Daredevil. He directed the episode of Daredevil in that one take prison fight scene in season three. Oh, that's uh, a good one. One of the best fight scenes I think I've ever seen. So he's tagged to direct some episodes of The Acolyte as well as Koganada, who uh, directed After Yang. I don't I haven't know if you seen saw that, After but Yang. I, I, I've heard how great it is, and it's on my list. It was very good. Uh, I believe it was A24, uh, starring Colin Farrell. Uh, during his, eight, He's been on a huge A24 kick between that, uh, the lobster, and killing of the sacred deer, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's another, that was a good 20, late 2021, early 22 movie, I believe. Very solid. So that's some exciting news. For, yeah, I'm really excited for the Acolyte, dude. Uh, I, I feel like sick. it's going to be something that's different, like a side of the Star Wars universe we haven't gotten to see. Uh, mm-hmm. So I honestly think that has the potential to be like one of my favorite Star Wars things like of, of late. Obviously, like Mando is great and Andor is great. I think it could be right up there with them. Yeah, they didn't really give an exact synopsis. I believe they we just know that it's going to be set during the High Republic era, which is years and years before uh, the Skywalker saga has a pretty stacked cast. Uh, Daphne Keene, who was uh, the the other Wolverine and Logan. I yeah. Actual. She was X-20. Was it X-23? X-20 something like I forget exactly which one. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Stenberg. She was the lead in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Uh, she's been on a heater uh, recently, like a big up and comer. Uh, Manny Jacinto from The Good Place, very funny. Oh, I'm excited to see where he goes here. Uh, Dean Charles Chapman played Tommen uh, Baratheon in Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Lee Jung Jae, who was the lead in Squid Game. Uh, yeah, four five main, six. Yeah, four five six. So that's an exciting, some exciting news. Uh, they got some good names attached to uh, direct and 
you know, set some direction for that. Um, yeah, I'm series. ready. I'm ready to start digging into the High Republic era, and I think mm-hmm. that looking at it through the lens of the Sith. I think that's going to yes. be the first. Uh, that's going to be the first property in the High Republic like TV yeah. show. I'm pretty yeah. sure. So that'll be an interesting way to kick it off by going through the lens of the Sith instead of like through the Jedi or whatever. It's just fun to get out of the like where there's a Skywalker around. Like even like Mandalorian, it's pretty. I mean, we got Luke Skywalker at the end of season. Yeah, I mean the Star um, Wars. The Star Wars lore is so like expansive and large that like not everything has to be connected to the to the Skywalkers. You know. Yeah, it's kind of like the same with uh, Lord of the Rings getting Rings of Power recently. Exactly. So I'm all about that as well. Uh, I know you haven't seen Umbrella Academy yet, and we did talk about it starting filming a few episodes ago, but they did announce that Nick Offerman was casted in this final season. Uh, recently, we just saw Nick Offerman in, uh, I think it's Undisputed Top 2 episode of The Last of Us, I believe. Yeah. I would say. So I'm excited to see him in another uh, semi-serious little comedy in Umbrella Academy, so I think it's a good fit for him. Yeah, Nick Offerman is great. He showed his acting chops uh, for real. Obviously, everyone knows him as a comedic uh, actor from Parks and Rec, but like he mm-hmm. showed his chops. He really showed his chops in uh, episode three of The Last of Us, so, so I'm excited to see where he goes from there because he definitely has the capability. Yeah, that'll be cool to see. Very fun. See him in a superhero-type property. Uh, we got uh, HBO acquired a film titled Reality, starring Sydney Sweeney. Uh, it follows Reality Winner. Uh, it's a name. It's not a weird name. That is she, not was, a- she was convicted of leaking the intelligence report about Russian meddling in the 2016 elections to uh, the news website The Intercept. Uh, that's going to relate later this release later this year. Uh, this is the first I'm hearing about it. Sydney Sweeney, we know as a star of Euphoria, uh, White Lotus season one, and she will be in the Madam Web Spider-Man movie coming next year. Uh, seeing her as in a biopic type thing, I guess. That is interesting. Uh, interesting. I mean, that is definitely something I had not heard of. And I guess since it's based off a true story, reality yeah. winner, what a what a name that is. Yeah. I thought you were about to say she definitely like, she, did not win. I thought you were about to say she like what it was a movie about someone who won reality. Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, I when really I read know. the title too, I was thinking oh like a Slumdog Millionaire like winning a reality series, but no, that's her name. I'm gonna have to read more into this. I had not even heard of it, so yeah. I don't know what to expect. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm sure it'll be incredibly divisive among audience, um, depending where you lean politically. But overall, it's kind of like Snowden. Uh, Snowden was like a very interesting type of movie yeah, uh, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the titular Edward Snowden. So it's kind of in that, uh, that genre of uh, true story film. Right. Uh, back to another Disney property. I'm call I'm just titling this. Let John Williams cook. Uh, <laughs> he, he scored more than one hour and a half of new music for Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny, which is insane. Uh, that film series already has one of the most iconic themes of any of any film, really. Yeah, John Williams just doesn't miss, and he's made like every single iconic theme you can think of. Yeah, he is ni- 91 years old, I believe. He has 75 Oscar noms or whatever, and he's just chilling, composing an hour and a half worth of score for... I- yeah, I, I know we talked about him yeah, last week. I, we talked about him last week because I'd watched Raiders for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, like, John Williams, like, you know, you just said he's 91. He's one of those guys that, like, 
I, I truly, and like, listen, everyone knows he's great and everyone talks about his greatness all the time, but he's just one of those guys. Like I want to make sure he gets his flowers while he's still here because 100%. like being that old, obviously, you know, knock on wood, God forbid, you know, you never know when, you know, we are going to lose John Williams. So you want to make sure he knows how appreciated and legendary he is while he's still here. Because like I just said, he has made like every iconic score that comes to the top of my head, star Wars, Indiana Jones, Jurassic park, Harry Potter, like, yeah. All of the classics. So the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, yeah, (laughs) he's unreal. He's done it all. And he's a legend. Premier league. He does everything. He is when it, when we're talking about him, John Williams is him. When you're talking about, yeah, when you're talking about relative to the craft, I don't know if there's anyone greater. Yeah. The only one who comes relatively close and he's still, you know, miles behind is Hans Zimmer. Yeah. And he's Hans Zimmer's phenomenal, but John Williams is in another realm. Right. Uh, we got some news from Guy Ritchie. He says a third Sherlock's home film is entirely up to Robert Downey Jr. to return as the character. I don't know if you've seen, uh, I don't know if you've ever gotten into Guy Ritchie's filmography, uh, but the first two, Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr., he did The Gentleman, which is fun, Snatch, Man from Uncle. Uh, he did what's Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking, uh, two smoking Barrels. Uh, he has... Operation Fortune Ruse de, de Guerre is releasing, I think I think it's next week, but it's his newest film with Jason Statham, Aubrey Plaza, Hugh Grant. So that should be fun. I'm pretty sure I saw like some of the Sherlock Holmes movie with him like when I was younger. Like yeah. I, I I don't really remember much about it, but uh does Robert Denny Jr. seem like he wants to play that character again? Is that something he's ever alluded to? I don't think he's said it yet, and we haven't really seen him in anything recently, really, since Avengers Endgame, I feel like. Uh, I know he's going to be in Oppenheimer uh, later this summer, but I had a lot of fun with the first Sherlock, Sherlock film. I know the second one was okay. Um, yeah. Whatever Guy one Ritchie, I saw, I remember being pretty fun. Guy Ritchie, he just has fun movies. He's really big into that, that crime comedy type of uh, genre. I think he, like that's his, his niche. And it is a very niche genre itself. Yeah. His movies are just fun, dude. That just made me think of uh, that movie that got absolutely shit on uh, with Will Ferrell and uh, John C. Riley. Holmes Holmes and Watson. I don't think I ever saw it, but I saw all the clips and it just looked so bad. Yeah, I saw I remember seeing it in theaters with uh, an ex at the time. (laughs) Um, So that gives me another negative opinion on the film in itself. Yeah, but, I just looked. I just looked at it on Letterbox, and it has one of the lowest ratings I've ever seen on one point five. Yeah, I mean, you see Will Ferrell, you see John C. Riley, you know the the two that brought you my number two comedy of all time, Step Brothers, and then plus Talladega Nights, and, and yeah, that was just a piece of shit, and <laughs> it just wasn't funny. Yeah, not not great. Uh, here is some more uh, wild news. Uh, so Zendaya rene- renegotiated her deal with Euphoria to get $1 million per episode. Uh, but it's not just her that's been in the news. Um, the writer, uh, producer, creator, Sam Levinson. Yeah. Um, outside of Euphoria, he was involved in a show called The Idol uh, with The Weeknd. And he allegedly wrote very disturbing sexual and physical violent scenes for that show between um, the weekend's character and then Lily Rose Depp. Uh, I think it's about time we lock Sam Levinson up in prison. I don't know if he's actually physically done anything, but the way he 
Binks. Yeah, I thought he was a weirdo for a while. I remember during the last season of Euphoria, uh, Sydney Sweeney was like mm-hmm. asked in an interview or something about like the topless scenes with her. And she said, like, basically, oh, you know, there's plenty of scenes where if I feel like, you know, Cassie doesn't need to be naked, like, I'll tell Sam and he'll write it out of the script. And everyone was like, oh, well, that's so nice of him. But all I could think is, like, why are you, like, making – listen, don't get me wrong. I think Sydney Sweeney is a beautiful woman. She's probably my number one celebrity crush. Okay. But, like, but like, why are you making her unnecessarily, like, be topless in all of these scenes? Like, yeah, yeah like, I'm not going to – give Sam Levison credit for like being willing to write out some scenes of her being topless. I'm more questioning why you're writing in so often that she is like, for example, there'll be like random scenes where like, I don't know, just like, Oh, Cassie's in the kitchen topless. It's like, well, why did she need to not, why couldn't she have her clothes on? Like, you know, it's just, I don't know. Sam Levison seems like a fucking creep and I am not going to give him credit for writing some of those scenes out when it's like, you could just make it a little less, like a little less nudity for her anyway. Like there's no need for it. Yeah, it's the the news that came out about this show in particular. I'm not going to get into the specifics, but it was disgusting. Oh yeah, if no. You it's read very... up on, if you want to read up on it, uh, go for it. Uh, little uh, you want to what's it called? It's just disgusting. There's definitely uh, some yeah some things we don't want to talk about on this show that he yeah. was apparently trying to write into that show. So uh, Sam Levison is. He just something has to be going on. And also, it's even weirder. I saw on Twitter someone, you know, again, he really likes to make Sydney Sweeney's character Cassie naked on Euphoria. And then people posted on Twitter when you look up what his mother looks like, his mother looks shockingly similar to like a Sydney Sweeney type. So it is kind of odd uh, when you think about it that way. And maybe uh, that explains why he's got some weird issues. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm like pretty sure that I, I saw that on Twitter. Yep, yep, I can see exactly where they're coming from. And that is now reaching incestuous vibes, and I'm e- I even I hate him even more now. Yeah, uh, it's it's very yeah. creepy. Yeah, moving on from that disturbing news, we got uh some Pokemon news. I don't know if you grew up a big Pokemon fan. Yes, I did. Uh, so I did. Uh, we got two bits of news. Netflix announced that they're creating a stop-motion animated, uh, I think it's a film, titled Pokemon Concierge. Uh, so stop-motion, uh, similar to, I know we both watched Fantas- Fantastic Mr. Fox recently. Fantastic movie. So it's in that kind of genre of animation. I heard about that. and I it just weird. Don't, I don't know if Pokemon lends itself well to stop-motion animation. Yeah, like it's so good in that that typical anime style. Yeah. That's um, just, I, I don't know, man. Stop motion animation is, is good in certain situations. Like I'm fantastic. Mr. Fox. I've, I don't know. I, I guess I'll just have to see. It just doesn't sound like it lends itself well to Pokemon. Yeah. It can be super creepy. Um, but the other project, there is going to be a dicta- detective P- Pikachu. Number two. That was just announced, uh, today. Okay. Uh, new director. Uh, the original one starred Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu and uh, Justice. Uh, what's his last name? Justice Justice Smith played uh, just a, a Tim a man named Tim Goodman who you know finds this Pikachu and they go on a trip. I think it was to clear like Mewtwo's name or something like that. 
Um, honestly, Detective Pikachu, I'm I'm like 99% sure I saw it. And honestly, it was pretty like surprising. I kind of expected it to yeah. be like dog shit. And it was it was fun. It was fine. It's yeah. perfectly like mid fun movie that you could just kind of throw on and watch if you like Pokemon, especially. Yeah, I think I think my exact score, I think I had it exactly at a seven. So just above a recommendation level type movie. And I think I remember Catherine Newton being in it. I think that was one of her first big films. She was. Yeah. yeah this, this was before she was in, like, Big Little Lies and all. I think that was around that time. And now, yes, you know, so, Marvel I mean, star. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not surprised that's getting a uh, a sequel. Uh, it's a pretty, it was a pretty solid movie. Like I said, I don't know how well it did at the box office, but, like, yeah, I'll, I'll tune in for that. Yeah, it's a ton of, it's a ton of fun. And Hopefully they don't fall victim to, like, the whole, like, sequel, like, being dog shit thing. Yeah, that's true. But it was it was kind of cool seeing Pokemon in live action, like CGI, like it wasn't like a yeah. I'd rather like see in more, 3D. I'd rather see more movies like that than stop motion animation. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree. I'm more excited for Detective Pikachu two than this Pokemon Concierge yeah. stop motion. Uh, so we got Arnold Schwarzenegger is uh we got a trailer for his first ever TV series coming to Netflix. It's titled Fubar, coming on May twenty fifth. Uh, I think the last time I saw Arnold in anything was maybe an Expendables movie. I don't know if you ever saw those, but it's just. I've seen like, I think I saw one of them when they were all older. Yeah. So it's, it's basically like a, like a wild hogs. I don't know if you saw wild hogs with Tim Allen and Travolta back in the day, but basically, so that's like the comedy group of that era of, actors but this one is expendables was all action stars like sly stallone schwarzenegger statham yeah it's an insane cast terry cruz i'm looking right now doris is in one of them i think bruce willis yeah this is an insane cast randy couture yeah yeah him and his giant swollen ears mickey rourke yeah damn this is a, a loaded ass cast that series is kind of, or I think there was like three or four, three of them, I think. The Expendables 2, I think, is the one I have seen. I think that's the one with Schwarzenegger, right? Yeah, that has uh, Stallone, Statham, Jalee, Dol- Dolph Lundgren, Chuck mm-hmm. Norris, John claude Van Damme, <laughs> Bruce Willis, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terry Crews, Liam Hemsworth snuck in there. Yeah, he died early. I remember. What, a, what a crazy, crazy cast. Yeah, that's... You know how, like, Sandler has his movies where he just goes to Hawaii, just goes on vacation? I think yep. it, that's what it, that's what it's like for those guys, just a bunch of old heads that were stars in the 70s and 80s, early 90s. They just want to get together, have have fun with their old buds. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, hey, good for them. That, that just, they just said, fuck it, let's take every single action star we can think of and put them in the same movie. So this uh, FUBAR show, uh, it's the first time Schwarzenegger's ever been on in a TV series. Uh they gave a short premise. Uh, Schwarzenegger is playing a man named Luke, and his daughter Emma have lied to each other for years, both of them not knowing the other is a CIA operative. <laughs> Once they both learn the truth, they realize they don't actually know anything about each other. Seems kind of interesting. Could be fun. I mean, I, I like know. I like Schwarzenegger, so I mean that's something that's worth watching just for him, if nothing else. Yeah, his charisma is always worth it. Uh, you know, Terminator, Predator, all those movies. He just uh, what's Batman right? and Robin. Yeah, Batman and Robin <laughs> twins, like just yeah. an absurd character and everything. He's he's you just gotta love him. 
Listen, you got to tune in for Arnold's TV debut. Yes. Yes. Which is shocking, to be honest, but. He must have been strapped for cash. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we got Super Mario Brothers moved up their release date by two days to April 5th. Uh, that is a Wednesday, which is a little strange for a film yeah. release. Typically, it is that, you know, like 8 p.m. on a Thursday for that early release, but. A little weird. Uh, I personally am very excited. We did announce their runtime last week was just above 90 minutes. Which is perfect. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, there's not really much to say. Cool, I guess I'll be seeing it maybe two days earlier. I'm not going to see it on opening night. but uh, nah, I'll see if it like you, a weekend after, maybe. If you are going to see it on opening night, you get to see it two days earlier. I wonder why yeah. they moved it up two days. I mean, it doesn't really seem worth it. Yeah, I don't know if they wanted to match it. Uh, I think they announced first that they were releasing it in China then. Usually right. China, China is an extra day or two early. And I guess they wanted to match that, I guess. Interesting. I, I'm not really sure, but... The only film I'm waiting to see if it moves at this point is I'm still waiting to see if either Oppenheimer or Barbie move off yeah. opening the same day. That's going to be a standoff. Um, they did announce... I did see that they were looking to... Uh, first look at Barbie is going to be at Cannes. Uh, Cannes Film Festival. And that I- is... In May. I am very excited to hear like the first thoughts on that movie when people start seeing it. Yeah, so that uh, Cannes Film Festival is May 16th to the 27th this year, so that's when we'll first see uh, or hear from some critics. Are they going to get a 15-minute standing ovation? Uh, Don't Worry Darling did. And that movie, everyone knows our thoughts on that film. If Don't Worry Darling could get a uh, 15-minute standing ovation, I would assume anything could. Yeah, so we will see about Barbie at Con. Uh, that is Super Mario Brothers. Uh, we got some news from the Dune. I don't know if you want to call it the Dune Cinematic Universe or anything, but the Dune. The, the Duneiverse. Yeah, the Duneiverse. I like that. Uh, Dune the Sisterhood, it's an upcoming series. Uh, Johan Rank and Dion Adimu John are stepping down from their roles as director and co showrunner. Uh, so filming of the series is now on pause for the next seven months, while the new showrunner, Allison Shapker, makes a creative overhaul. Doesn't sound good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't really have any expectations for that project. I don't really know yeah. too much about it. But, I don't know uh, the Dune lore just yet. I do have the books on my bookshelf next to me that I have not gotten into quite yet. So I'm definitely going to have to think more about like what exactly that is because I don't really know much. Yeah, I agree. I think it's some kind of like prequel series type thing, but I guess we'll see. We got some news out of the Stranger Things camp. They announced that there's going to be a prequel show for theater. Uh, not film, but on the stage. It's going to premiere in late 2023, uh, taking place in 1959 following a young Jim Hopper. Uh, Bob Newby, who was played by Sean Astin, R. King, Samwise Gamgee in season two. Uh, Joyce, uh, Joyce before she was Joyce Byers, I guess. And then a young Henry Creel arrives in, uh, what's the name of the town? Hawkins. Hawkins, Indiana. I should have known that Stranger Things wouldn't go away that easily. 
I should have known that this whole, you know, quote unquote last season was really just so they could, you know, make some spinoffs, much like The Walking Dead is doing. You know, The Walking mm-hmm. Dead, quote unquote, ended until they start a show about Rick Grimes and they start multiple spinoffs and movies. So I should have assumed that Stranger Things also wouldn't just uh, go off quietly into the night. I mean, I've, I don't know. Will this be good? Will it be bad? It could really be either one. I know that's not like any groundbreaking analysis here, but like I truly, truly do not know what to expect with that. Yeah, I thought it was super interesting that they're releasing it on stage, like theater, like not that is like not Netflix or anything. So I don't really like Henry Creel obviously has these powers that we saw in season four. Yeah. So we that's interesting to me. Um, and we I mean, I'm not a Broadway guy. Will I ever see it? Probably not unless they do a Hamilton type thing where they where Netflix. Yeah. Has the rights to release it on their streaming service. That's about I don't know. It. But that is the only way I'll probably watch it. Um, uh, some video game movie news. Uh, there is an adaptation of Dead by Daylight in the works with Bloomhouse Production Company and James Wan's Atomic Monster. Personally, I've never played the games. I know they are very big. They're very popular. Uh, it's like a horror zombie sur- survival type multiplayer game, yeah, I think. I've played the I've played the game, which makes me wonder how exactly a movie is going to go. Like, what is it going to really be about? Because I know that as far as I know, the game, like the the multiplayer is all I've really played. I don't know if there even is like a story mode to it, but you're pretty much just running around and hiding and trying to escape a killer, you know, like mm-hmm. and a lot of the times they pull killers. Like, for example, you can play as like Michael Myers in there. So, like, I, I don't know. I mean the game's cool it could be interesting i just don't know what it's going to be like about or how they're going to adapt that into a plot yeah i I know i've never played but we're kind of on a run where video games are being thrust back into the limelight i told you adapted and all the last of us it's going to give a lot of people uh the the confidence to Mm -hmm. do this and then we're going to get maybe a lot of good and sure a lot of bad yeah but you know they attach bloomhouse productions and james wan like that's kind of if you want to make a good adaptation, especially like in that horror, that horror type of movie. I think those are the types of deals you go after, Bloomhouse and Juan. Yeah, I mean that's at least like you know it gives me a little bit of confidence in that that they have those two attached. Yeah, so we, we see with that uh, that you know it's probably a couple of years away. Uh, we are going to get into a couple uh, things from the SAG Awards, the Screen Actor Guild. Uh, but first, uh, there was news today that was released. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King is coming back to Regal and Cinema oh, yeah. Theaters on April 13th for its 20th anniversary. This is my favorite film of all time. Released in 2003, I was born in 98, so I was, you know, four and a half, almost five years old. Was not able to see it in theaters. So now as a 24-year-old, this is... My movie theater wet dream. This is your moment, um, bro. This is for this you. This is my moment. I April thirteenth. I'm looking up the day of it exactly. April thirteenth is a Thursday. I am off on Thursdays. You can bet your ass that I will be sitting in my local Regal, in a recliner seat. Uh, I will, I will get a large bucket of popcorn for this, and then it is going to be the extended edition, over four hours long. I am so in. I am so excited. As you should be. Uh, I I will also definitely make an effort because that is a movie that's so like grand and mm-hmm. like big in scale that like you want to see that on a big screen. 
I love that they're getting into re-releasing these old classics. Like I know Titanic was just in theater. I think it's it might still be in theaters. Um, they brought back everywhere, everything all at once for a late Oscars push. So this re-release format of film, I think, is really cool. Especially, you know, it's you know it's my favorite movie of all time. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna be there opening night probably. Uh, maybe I'll see it a couple times. Maybe if it's in IMAX, I might be there in IMAX. Take advantage see. of the take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, seeing Gollum fall into Mount Doom, reaching, grasping for the ring in you know, 3D or IMAX, that'd be pretty sick. I think. Yeah, that so, movie in IMAX would be beautiful. I don't know if they had IMAX capability back then, being able to shoot with IMAX cameras or not, but if it's there, I am there. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully they do that with some like you know like the old like the original Star Wars. I don't think they've done that yet. What was yeah, that? they that was, have not. That was 1977, I think. So maybe in a you know four years, maybe they four years. That's 50 years. Yeah, 50th 50 anniversary. Years since New Hope. That would be fun. That would be a load of fun. Uh, we'll just cap it off. Some SAG Awards rundown. Uh, they don't have Best Picture or anything. It's all actor-based, you know, being the guild, the yeah. union of actors. Uh, so Best Actress went to Michelle Yeoh. Uh, her and Blanchett have been going back and forth all award season. Michelle Yeoh winning now the SAG and Globes. It seems like she's picking up a little bit of steam. I still expect, yeah. I still expect Blanchett to win the Oscar, but uh, mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh is making a push here. Yeah, Blanchett is the betting odds favorite still. Um Ever so slightly, but we will see that Oscars will be not this Sunday, but next. Yeah, it's on my birthday. We're getting there. Uh, Best Actor went to our King, Brendan Fraser. Uh, Like the Best Actress category, he's neck and neck with Austin Butler for his performance in Elvis. Um, But same way, they're going back and forth depending on, you know, who's voting. I listen, Austin Butler was great and definitely the only reason that Elvis was worth watching, in my opinion. Yes. But it's kind of crazy. In my opinion, it should be between Brendan Fraser and Colin Farrell. But Mm -hmm. hey, I mean, I don't know. I just hope Brendan Fraser gets it, man. I I just really, really want that. Yeah. Elvis in general is just an Oscars like 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 an Oscar darling. You know, it's an old. I just I don't get it. And it's just just not not for me. Not my thing. Uh, Kiwi Kwan is running away with Best Supporting Actor. Uh, we did have Barry Keoghan won at the BAFTAs two weekends ago. But outside of that, Kiwi Kwan has won everything, I believe. Kiwi Kwan so is the biggest lock of locks at the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, I work for uh, Play Sugar House slash Bed Rivers. We have betting odds for the Oscars on our Michigan site, I believe. Uh here in Pennsylvania, we don't have the. Uh, it's like a regulation, but Kiwi Kwan's like minus three thousand. Yeah, he's best he's supporting locked. actor. It's insane. Um, and then supporting actress, Jamie Lee Curtis won the SAG Award for best supporting actress. I truly don't get the Jamie Lee Curtis thing for this. I get yeah. it. Listen, maybe people are saying maybe it's a legacy award, but like. She didn't add that much to the movie. Like really she, didn't. she wasn't in it a lot, and when she was, she wasn't a character that was really pushing. Like, 
like anyone could have played that character. It wasn't like Jamie Lee was showing off her acting chops or anything. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just like a silly character. Again, yeah. I, I still think Stephanie Sue was the better supporting character in that movie by far. And I, I still think that that, yeah, she won the SAG award, but I think this is still uh, Angela Bassett's award yeah. to lose at the Oscars. Yeah, betting odds are currently um, it's Angela Bassett. She's very heavily favored. Uh, second place is Carrie Condon for her role in Banshees, which I agree with. And then third, third is, uh, I think it, like it's very similar odds for Jamie Lee Curtis, Stephanie Sue and Hong Chow for her role in the whale. I, I truly just don't get how anyone watched everything everywhere all at once and thought, yeah, you know what? Jamie Lee Curtis had a better performance than Stephanie Sue in this movie. Yeah. Uh, no, that's just incorrect. I mean, I get it's Jamie Lee and we all love her, but yeah, like, come for on. Sure. Yeah, do the do the right thing, Academy. Let's not be biased. Just give it to Angela Bassett. Yeah, that's that, what's gonna that happen. would be. That would have. That's Marvel's first acting non, win. That's their first acting Oscar. The first actor or Oscar outside of you know, like what, like costumes and. Yeah, they were nominated for Best Picture with Black Panther, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that was their first nom. Yeah. So the Oscars, uh, I think that is the last award show until the Oscars. I don't believe there's one this weekend. Like you said, two more weeks, my birthday and the Oscars. Yeah, so that'll be a fun Sunday night. So we get, so it's Oscars and then The Last of Us uh, season finale, same night. Ooh, man, that's a big night. That is a big night. I will have the Oscars on my laptop while I watch that finale on the big screen. And with that, we are going to get into Last of Us episode seven. Right uh, I don't remember the. I don't remember looking at the title of the episode, but it was based on the Left Behind DLC. I think it was called Left Behind. Was it? I assumed as much. I just when I watched, it, they didn't announce it yet. Let me um, while you talk. Yeah. So it's this is Ellie's backstory. I know neither neither of us have played the Left Behind DLC yet, uh, so we both kind of went into it blind. Uh, it is about Ellie's background where she went to school at the Fedra, Fedra school, I guess they just call yeah, it. Yeah, it was Fedra school. And yes, also the episode was called Left Behind. Was Left Behind. Yeah. And then we add uh, Storm Reed uh, playing Riley. Storm Reed we know from, again, Euphoria. Yeah, I thought she was uh, great. She she was very good. And she is in that new movie, Missing. I haven't seen Missing yet, but I hear it is a very solid 2023 film. Uh, so yeah, if you want to kick off with your thoughts on episode seven. Absolutely. So, uh, last week we talked a lot about relativity and, you know, with the show about how people were a little bored with that episode. And I feel like the same thing is happening here. Um, so relatively speaking, it was probably like the second or first, like it was down at the bottom of the episodes, relatively speaking, but personally, I still loved this episode. I thought it did a great job of, uh, giving Ellie like a nice backstory. Like obviously it's not her full backstory, but it's, you know, her in Fedra school and her relationship with Riley that she talked about before where, you know, she says that it's not the first person she had to hurt when she, uh, shoots that guy attacking Joel. And you, you kind of left to put the pieces together with what happened mm-hmm. with Riley. But, um, this episode also, man, fuck this episode because I spent the whole thing happy and like I loved seeing Ellie genuinely happy and smiling and spending time with her friend. And obviously, you know, at one point they share a kiss and it's mm-hmm. like a wholesome moment because uh, she says, you know, I'm sorry. And she says, sorry for what? And the whole time I'm like getting happy and I'm like, dude, like I'm happy, but I know this isn't going to last. I, nah. I I know that something terrible is happening. And then they show you the ominous scene of the uh, the 
the infected in the a couple rooms over. So, you know, it's coming at some point. Um, is it a little slow? Absolutely. Yeah. But like, I, I don't think every episode needs to be, and listen, I think this show especially has had a couple slow episodes. So like, I'm kind of used to it. And I understand that this show is more about the humanity, uh, than the like infected people. And I think this did a great job of giving Ellie some more, uh, humanization for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. And also I, it really fucked me up because when you think of the context of the episode, like it opens with Ellie dragging Joel into this house and like frantically trying to find a way to stitch him up. And, uh, she goes into the flashback and then at the end of the episode, which by the way, the acting by both storm Reed and, uh, Bella Ramsey, when they discover their bites was amazing. I thought was they very both, good. I thought they both did a good job of like selling it. Like, very realistically about how you would react in a moment like that. But, um, it flashes back to her and Joel and the context of the whole flashback is just that Ellie is thinking about the last time she lost someone that she truly cares about Mm -hmm. because she's like fighting to keep Joel alive right now. And she doesn't want to lose someone else. And like that really, like it really got to me. Like that's a good emotional moment. So I really liked it. Uh, I'd like to know your thoughts. Yeah. So I do have this as my, like, out of the seven episodes, this is my bottom episode, I think. Um, because it was a little boring, um, I think Pedro Pascal is the best part about this show from a character standpoint. I, I do love Bella Ramsey, obviously, but Pedro Pascal, he just has a certain charm about him. That yeah, you love. yeah. Um, so, yeah, for that reason, I do have it, you know, at the bottom. But at the same time, like we say, you know, I've been, re- I've been watching Outer Banks. I would take the, this is the worst episode of The Last of Us. But compared to, you know, Outer Banks and all those other Netflix shows, it's it's be- still better than all of them. Yeah, um, compared to most shows. Yeah. Uh, let's see. It is slow, but again, it's also the perfect spot in the series to put this kind of show. Because, you know, there is skipping time throughout the series. You know, it's like two months from Kansas City to Wyoming or whatever. Yeah. So we need time between when Joel gets stabbed to when he recovers, like where we are in the game. Because you're not, he's not getting, he's not recovering from that in a couple of days. You need something to progress the story in a way, you know? Yeah. Kinda, uh, to show the passage of time. Um, the next two episodes, a- the next two episodes are like in store to be crazy based off where they're at in the game because. And, uh, you know, skip like 30 seconds forward if you don't want any spoilers for the game. It's mm-hmm. going to be light. It's it's light spoilers. But uh, for what might be coming in the next episode um, in the game, they have, you know, the cannibals where Ellie gets captured when she goes out to look for medical supplies for Joel. And he has mm-hmm. to get up and go find her. So I'm assuming that's the next episode. And then the yes. last episode will Maybe. be uh, that when they get to the hospital and find the firefly. So we're yeah. in for a very big next two episodes. They're going to be action-packed. And I remember them saying, I think the season finale is only like 45 minutes or something. There's yeah. a lot that goes on in that portion of the game. I think I've said it before on this podcast, but I am very, very excited to see people's reactions to exactly how the season's going to end. Yeah, it's going to be... Like, for people that have been starving for action that you're, uh, that you're kind of accustomed to with this genre, you... I think they're going to be... They're, hunger will be satisfied yeah it if they stay true to the game which they have you know throughout the majority of this series it's going to be electric to watch and obviously also we know something like big happens so it'll be interesting to see how people take that 
And like, mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot of discourse over the end. So, like, not that it's controversial, but there's just discourse about what happens. So like, I'm excited to see what people think. Yeah. I remember when I played it in real time, I was like, holy shit. I was not expecting all this to go down. There are uh, a lot of moments in both of the games that, uh, that are like very like fuck like i don't even feel like i should be doing this yeah i that was like if i did this there was no decision at the end of the game right you just did it right there's no decisions in any of the and listen i know you still haven't played the second game yet Mm -hmm. there are a lot of moments in that second game where you are doing things that you feel like you should not be doing the second game is and i'm assuming i don't know if they're going to change it up for the show but assuming they went with the same exact story the second season slash second game is is fucking dark. It's bleak. It it, yeah. it will. It's like one of those games. Like I'm not even lying. Where you have to you play it and maybe like 45 minutes for an hour, and then you have to put it down because it literally wears you down. I'm very excited for you to play it because I just finished playing it maybe two months ago, and I've been watching a lot of video essays on YouTube and like taking a lot of content in about it. And I'm very eager to talk to someone about it because mm-hmm. I have so many thoughts and like. It's very divisive. It's probably the most divisive piece of media I have ever encountered with. So I'm definitely very excited to see your thoughts on that. Sorry, I'm going a little off topic here, but like I'm very excited to engage in that conversation with you whenever you play it. Yeah, I told you uh, the other day. It is on my list. I think I told you. I, I decided I'm going to finish Red Dead Redemption 2 first. I'm almost Great. on that. Fantastic game. Uh, my favorite I've been playing, game ever. Yeah, I've been playing through... Hogwarts Legacy, obviously, I'm almost. I think I'm about seventy percent through the main story. Uh, then once I finish that, that is when I will buy Last of Us Two and then play through that. Hopefully before uh, was what is it Jedi Order Fallen Survivor or whatever. Uh, uh, Star Wars out. Jedi Survivor. Star Wars Jedi Survivor is that all it's yeah. called? Yeah, the, the the tagline of the game for the first one is Fallen Order and this one Survivor. Fallen Order. So the name it of the, yeah, it's Star Wars Jedi, you know, whatever. Got it. Yeah, so that comes out uh late April. So hopefully I will finish the that's my plan to finish The Last of Us 2 by the time that releases because I will be fully dedicated to being uh Cal Kestis at that time. Absolutely. Um yeah, but uh episode 7, um on a surface level, I think it is meh it's okay but when you delve into uh you know ellie's fear of being alone yeah you know seeing the source of that i think that's where you kind of get into oh this is very good this is a very good backstory it's a very good explanation as to why she feels so attached to joel and you know why she's so scared yeah so the next two episodes, man, I'm very excited. Yeah, so that's where I landed with it. It is my number seven ranked Last of Us episode. But again, that doesn't mean it's bad. You know, Absolutely. If we're rating it on a, on Something's a one gotta to ten scale. Last. Yeah, if we're rating it on the one to ten scale, you know, probably, you know, you know, episode three and five are both ten out of tens. Uh, then there's a couple of like the low nines, mid nines. Here is probably, you know, like a low eight. But, yeah. you know, a low eight, low eight, high seven. Yeah, but if, you know, if I look at like my movie rankings, like a low eight, you know, I have like bullet train. I have, uh, horrible bosses Two, fury, iron the, man Two, like things you enjoyed. It's still really good, fun stuff. So it's not a bad, it's not a bad episode yeah. of television. So then yesterday we also had a big show coming back for both of us and, uh, you know, star Wars nerds that we are, we had the Mandalorian. We do Finally. have 
or actually two days ago. I'm sorry. Yeah, when Wednesday. Yes, we are recording on Friday. Uh, so yes, Wednesday, March first was episode one of season three of Mandalorian, the first Mandalorian episode we've gotten since what was that like winter of 2021? Yes, uh, yeah, right? I believe so. Uh, this is not counting the episode of Book of Boba Fett that was basically a Mandalorian episode, an epi- like a, a an epilogue or prologue or whatever. Yeah. Uh, my, so my thoughts on this episode, basically, uh, yeah, it was fine. I mean, it's a good first episode kind of getting us back in, setting up where the season's mm-hmm. going to go. I mean, not really much happens. He goes to see Groove Karga and, you know, Groove Karga's turned that planet into a, you know, a thriving uh, mm-hmm. port and like city. And they fight off some pirates and, you know, Mando, Mando breaks up like and it opens with them fighting some kind of creature at like a yeah. Mandalorian like ceremony and he fucks up the creature which is cool and then he talks to the armor I believe her name is and she basically is like you are fucked unless you can get to Mandalore and you know get in the bathing the living waters or whatever to be forgiven for taking your what a fucking weird cult they are but anyway he basically is like all right well I'm gonna go find out and then he goes to talk to Bo-Katan which is probably you know the highlight of the episode and that was a good scene where she talks about how they wouldn't follow her because she didn't have the dark saber and all that kind of stuff. And she, I, I saw, I'm not going to act like this is my own point. I'll give a shout out to Robbie Fox from Barstool. He made a good point about this, but, uh, Bo-Katan was like on her high horse of like, Oh, yeah. you're in a, you're in a cult and like, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's like, bro, you were in death watch. Death watch was like the Mandalore, like terrorist group. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where the hell she comes from on her holy high ground all of a sudden, but, uh, She's an interesting character, and she like if she felt powerful in that scene. Yeah, Katie Sackhoff is really good. Like we know, she was the voice of uh, Bo-Katan in uh, was it Clone Wars and Clone Rebels. Wars, yeah. uh, but it, you know, seeing that voice actor portray the character in live action so well is very cool to see. Uh, yeah, I I like the episode too. Um, slower. Uh, Mandalorian is kind of known for a couple setup episodes here and there that are a little slow, but ultimately they always have a great payoff. Yeah. Um, people that didn't watch Book of Boba Fett are probably pissed right now because they have no idea. Yeah, they have no clue how, how this happened. Why? Why does? Why is Grogu back with Mandal with uh, Dinjar and why is Dinjar in a Naboo starfighter? Um. Yeah, that. Why is he going to Mandalore? I thought Mandalore was uninhabitable. Yeah, you um, uh, you missed a lot if you didn't see that episode. Yeah, it was a singular episode of Book of Boba Fett, but it was you know it, it's up there as one of the best Mandalorian episodes in general. I would I would say. Um, we, I mean, dude, we got fucking Luke Skywalker talking to Ahsoka. Yeah, something exactly. I, something I could only have dreamed of while watching Clone Wars. Exactly, and then you get like some more Mandalore background, some dark saber training like that episode was sick um but back to episode one uh i think when we go to navarro with uh grief carga portrayed by apollo creed um you know you kind of see you know john favreau had those comments earlier this week about the the time how long this the series has taken place and when you look at navarro and how carga has built up that city as like a thriving city of trade. I think that's when you realize, yeah, this has taken over a a decent period of time, which made it would 
like when I know we were both annoyed with his comments at first, like, what do you mean this is taking place over several years? Then you, but then you see that, and you're kind of like, okay, I get it. I get where he's coming from. So the comments aren't as. I think the only comment um, that really truly bothered me was that he said, "Well, they, they, they." It was misquoted, but yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They originally it was made to seem like he said that uh, Luke had Grogu for two years. Yeah, and that just didn't feel like it ma- added up. But that was misquoted, so yeah. that wasn't even correct. So yeah, Star Wars Holocron is feeling like an asshole right now on Twitter. Yeah, they got everyone in a dumbass. They got everyone in a big. Uh, you know, for, for, no, for nothing yeah uh i think i thought the the beginning ceremony with um the mandalorians was i thought that was dope um, yeah it was cool as fuck i like how mandalorians have this lore and history about them where it's kind of reminiscent of like like they're a warrior people like that's that stuff is cool to me um you know you see the armor i think the armor is like a super cool ca- uh, character uh, how she like forges the armor for all these Mandalorians, and you see her actually creating the helmet for this youngling or foundling, whatever, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, Mando flying in on his start on the Naboo starfighter to just absolutely that, shit on this that ship creature. Is so, that ship is just so cool. Yeah, it's like a coked out version of what we saw in like Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Yeah, super cool to see. They're just really good at that, like, casual callbacks to things we know and love. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I'm excited for the rest of the season, man. I mean, obviously, we'll see where it goes. It was a good setup episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Had, a, I think, a great scene with Bogotan. Also, it's worth mentioning, we saw the, the uh, they're called the Purgle. Yes. Uh, in yes, the hyper, I forgot in, that. As they, as they traveled through Lightspeed, which, you know, they were moving that was with, uh, they were moving with Ezra in the Rebels. So, dude, mm-hmm. I feel, listen... Um, I truly don't believe they're going to hold all of the Rebels cameos for the Ahsoka show. I, I feel like we are due to get a Rebels cameo in this show. Since we're going to Mandalore, I could... I, I would assume Sabine. we see Sabine Wren. Yeah. I do think so. Uh, maybe we get another... Maybe we see Ahsoka later in this series, or in this season, and maybe there's you know a callback to... Like she finds Ezra, or finds out where he is, or just yeah. Or I, feel like Ezra, I feel like Ezra. Or... is such a big character; he'll be saved for Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely think, like you said, at least Sabine. We have to see. I feel like you have to, right? We have to see someone from Rebels in this show. I don't think they're saving all of those reveals for Ahsoka. And uh, like you know, it's not like one of those things where like, oh, well, it would have been announced. I mean, fucking Luke Skywalker made a surprise yeah. appearance at the end of the Mandalorian, so you really never know. Yeah, that's that's something I love about Mando now. It's it's kind of like the Disney Plus MCU shows, where you kind of have these this inkling where you might get a random yeah. cameo out of nowhere, and I think that kind of builds up the hype for each Dude, each week. If you would have told me like a couple weeks into the first season of Mandalorian that the season two finale would include Luke fucking Skywalker having his own Darth Vader uh, hallway scene, like. Which, by the way, I know we both watched Freddie Prinze Jr.'s uh, interview mm-hmm. with Lights, Camera, Barstool, which great interview. Uh, and he said that Dave uh, Dave Filoni basically directed that scene at the end and yeah. all that. And that's why when the all the ships come through hyperspace, you see the ghost uh, f- front and foremost in that. 
And it's so uh, I, I, it completely makes sense. Dave Filoni is like just Star Wars Kevin Feige. Like he just knows what he's doing. He don't 100%. miss. He truly cares about the the craft and the world that he's working in and respects it a lot. And he's made some of the best characters. I mean, we always say, you know, the Clone Wars, Ahsoka became Ahsoka. one of the best Star Wars characters ever. Mm-hmm. And I think his work with Darth Maul, man, he fucking turned. Darth, yep. Maul, Darth Maul was cool as fuck in the, in the Phantom Menace. Like he was awesome. Oh, yeah. Double sated lightsaber, his face all being red and shit. But uh, Dave Filoni made him an amazing character because obviously mm-hmm. in the Phantom Menace, he says like five words. Yeah. 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 Phantom Menace hype with Maul was, you know, he looked cool. He's doing acrobatics. He has the coolest lightsaber we've seen yet. And yeah. Dave Filoni is, you know, he's awesome. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr., right. that interview is awesome. But I kind of, like, <laughs> it was I funny. Like she, oh, sorry. He was, ta- Freddie Prince Jr. was talking about Rise of Skywalker. In Rise of Skywalker, you hear the Kanan Jarrus voice. Yeah. And Freddie Prinze Jr. is like, what the fuck, man? He's not that powerful. <laughs> like, <laughs> that sad. whole thing just made me laugh. Kanan uh, uh, yeah, was it. a great character in that show. Uh, but I, I definitely yeah. feel like showing the Purgle is, like, teasing us, because I feel like that's why they would put it there. Like, they, they, yeah, know, they know what they're is. doing. Star Wars fans that are, you know, very into it, like we are, or have seen Rebels, they know that that's, like, a big Easter egg, that we'd be like, oh, shit. Is this is this yeah. a precursor to or foreshadowing to see Ezra in the series? Listen, I won't put anything out of the realm of possibility. So I just yeah. hope I'm very excited. And when one of those Rebels characters does show up on screen, I will go crazy. Leo uh, pointing meme for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, just real quick, uh, what have you been watching recently? We can just roll through these, uh, Justin, and we can add on our six-pack at the end. Yeah, I'll let you go first because I kind of want to wrap. I have all the movies that I've been watching, not all of them, but I put them with my six-pack. Okay. So I guess first, uh, let me see if I had any uh, that I did watch recently besides uh, the ones I want to put on there. Uh, no, I think because we talked about the uh, the Truman Show the last time we were on here. So yeah, my Good. three my three on my six-pack are going to be movies that I just watched, so I'll let you go first. Got it. So TV-wise, uh, I said it earlier, Outer Banks Season 2 and Season 3 I've been binging while I work. Just a little background noise. Yep. Uh, I'm still on Season... I just started Season 2 of Better Call Saul. Absolute Hell banger. Yeah. Uh, during my work day on Wednesday, I watched Rocky 1 through 4. Fuck yes, uh, Mike. And then, then when I got home, I watched Mandalorian, so it was just kind of like a Carl Weathers super marathon. Uh, I watched Creed 1 and 2 last night to prepare myself for Creed 3. Uh, I need to ask what you thought about Rocky 4. I know we talked about all the other Rockies. I never heard your thoughts on that one. I'm going to give my actual Rocky rankings real quick. Yes. Rocky this... Rocky 1 stands above the rest. For sure. Yes. I mean, Rocky 1 is like a legitimately amazing movie. Yeah. So I'm going to give my Rocky rankings with its grade. Starting off with Rocky 1, I did bump it up from a 9 flat to a 9.2, making it in my top five of all sports films. Absolutely. After that, uh, Creed 1. Creed 1 is my number two in the Rocky franchise at a 9. Yeah, I can't even blame you for that. Creed 1 is fantastic. Creed 1 so good. And then I got Creed 2 at number three at an 8.8, just ahead of Rocky 4. Rocky 4 is my number two Rocky itself film it's, at an 8.7 it might as well be called the 80s the movie yeah it's just, it's definitely a vibes movie but it also has a really cool uh character arc well, you know like carl weathers apollo creed dies in the ring to ivan drago yeah. uh and then 
Rocky has to beat Ivan Drago. Like, that's a cool redemption arc, kind of like a revenge type thing. Where yeah, Rocky movies kind of like, they definitely are more of a vibes, like underdog wins, blah, blah, Dude, blah. Is I there Rocky one, but... Is there anything more like 80s and just like getting you fired up than push it to the limit while fucking Drago's, you know, in his, in his boxing in his... Uh, technological scientific lab yeah. and Rockies in the fucking snow in Russia, just like working out in the barn and run through the snow. Like, Oh my God. It's so like, it's so funny. It's so awesome. That's the thing about the Rocky movies. They always have this five minute montage or it's just some random, random eighties yep. music blaring while Rocky's training. Then they do that in Creed and Creed too, but it's more like, you know, it's hip hop. It's like, yeah, more it's more modern. modern. Like so, they had uh, in Rocky a fun. in Creed one, they had him running to you know dreams and nightmares for a moment. Yeah, like, that's sick. Uh, then Creed two, the beginning of Creed two for his fight against um, what's his name Stuntman Wheeler or whatever. Yeah, I know who you're talking uh, about. It's the he comes out to to Icon by Jaden Smith with the with the like the strobe lights. I that was one of the coolest. The visuals on that were ever seen. the visuals on that were beautiful. It was so sick, and it, uh, yeah, that was so Creed one that was. Ryan Coogler, Ryan Coogler, I think is a star. That was, you know, I'm trying to build up his film filmography as well. Uh, but after Rocky Four, where am I? Rocky Two, I had an eight point one. It's good. Um, I think it suffered that it's the same opponent as the first one, so it's basically. So you could kind of combine Rocky One and Two into a four hour movie. Yeah, it feels a little. Yeah, it does feel a little similar. like an like an Apollo Creed, like like saga, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Rocky Three, I think, was the weakest of the four. Uh, I have it at a 7.3. Clubber Lang just isn't really... Yeah. He, you know, he has a lot of charisma. Uh, Mr. Was it Mr. T? Because uh, I, I, I think... A fool and all that. You get that iconic line, but... I think Rocky Three suffers because it's silly. Like, it, it leans into the silliness, like, mm-hmm. unlike the first two, but it doesn't lean into it enough like the fourth one does. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's where I land. I didn't watch Five. Uh, I heard... Five isn't anything. Five special. is by far the worst one, but the Rocky Balboa movie or Rocky Six is mm. pretty good. I, I did hear that. Uh, it wasn't on Netflix, so I didn't get it, get to see it yet. Every but. everyone knows the iconic. Uh, you know, uh, it doesn't matter how hard you can hit; it matters how hard you can get hit and keep moving yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah, That's his iconic. You know, line. That's probably Rocky's most iconic quote ever, and that's in from Rocky Balboa. Yeah, so that is where I stand with the Rocky franchise. Uh, outside of that, I watch Unbearable Weight of Massive, t- Massive Talent, the Nick Cage. Uh, what do you want to call it? Like a like a ex- exaggerated biopic, I guess you want to call it. Yeah, that's Not what even I've heard. A biopic. Like, I haven't seen but it, but all these memes it on was TikTok. So, that's what it is. It was uh, the meme on TikTok of them in the car. So in the movie, they're on LSD and they're driving in like a Mallorca street, and it's. It's just so funny, the Pedro, Pedro Pascal's facial expression. Yeah. So it got me to watch it. Um, if I watched it during 2022 and we did our 2022 award show, it would probably be my... Uh, what, what was our one category? It was like our, our favorite or like underrated oh, yeah. type like, one. Yeah, that would like probably be my... Favorites. That's probably where I would put it there. I did have it at an 8.8 out of 10 as my number 19 movie of the year. Uh, outside of that, I watched three 2023 films over the week. Um, Cocaine Bear. I saw it in theaters last week. Absolutely non-spoiler review. Uh, 8.6 out of 10. Very fun. Very funny. 
Um, there is a storyline with Carrie Russell as a mother and two children where I kind of thought was not needed. I did not need a that kind of storyline in this film. I kind of just wanted a bear on cocaine. Uh, <laughs> basically like a horror slasher. Um, but with the co- like with comedy, um, I know we, we both listened to the O'Shea Jackson Alden Ehrenreich interview, and they were equally as funny in the film. So, yeah, I'm still definitely planning on seeing it at some point. I definitely recommend that. And then to two 2023 stinkers that I will not very elaborate on. Uh, we have a ghost on Netflix. It is Anthony Mackie, David Harbor. It was not good. Very bad. <laughs> it had no direction. It was kind of all over the place. And then the strays, another Netflix original. It's a British Netflix film. Uh, it's basically if Jordan it's a Jordan Peele movie. If Jordan Peele was not attached to it, where it has that kind of thriller vibe that they want to go for, but it simply did not work. It was horrible. It sucked. Um, it was, it was knockoff Jordan Peele, but that, yeah, that's all I watched the past week. Um, I'm now at, that was my, I'm now at 18, 2023 20, movies. Uh, I have them ranked on my letterbox for any listeners who wants to want to check that out. All right. So I'll uh, talk about what I'm watching and I'll wrap that into my six pack. So yeah, let's do it. First and foremost uh, on HBO max, the grand Budapest hotel, uh, Wes Anderson banger. I uh, talked about how we both watched uh, fantastic Mr. Fox recently. And that was amazing. Mm. Uh, grand Budapest hotel was just as good. If it's not better, favorites. uh, Ray finds absolute masterclass. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Wes Anderson is becoming one of my favorite directors. I've only seen two of his movies, but uh, I just like, I believe you guys were talking about this in one of our group chats earlier, but like, I just like when directors like Tarantino and Wes Anderson, like have distinct styles and mm-hmm. Wes Anderson's style is so distinct and different from anything that I've seen. It's so fast paced and witty and funny. And it yeah. just, it, it's everything like it's awesome i love that movie every single shot in that movie could be hung on a wall in your house for like fine art that movie mm-hmm. is so beautifully shot the cinematography is amazing the movie is funny as shit it everything you could possibly want in a movie i don't see how anyone could not like this movie i don't it know how so absurd i don't know how ray fines didn't win best actor for that movie or i don't even know if he was nominated i'm not sure i'm gonna, go, I'm gonna look at that right now while you continue but it's just like it's one of those movies I watch and I'm like, I don't know how anyone could walk away from this and not like it. Like, it's just so easily like for lack of a better word, I'm just kind of rambling on. But it's so easily likable because it just has everything you could want. Yeah, that is one of my favorite movies of the last few years. I think it's so fun, dude. It's hilarious. Uh, but let's see. Best actor. So that was the year that Birdman won Best Picture. Best actor nominees were. Uh, Eddie Redmayne, who won uh, for The Theory of Everything when he played Stephen Hawking. Uh, Steve Carell for his role in Foxcatcher. Bradley Cooper was nominated for American Sniper. American Sniper's a fine movie. Ah, come on. Uh, uh, over Ray Fiennes. Yeah. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch when he played Alan Turing in The Imitation Game. Very good. And then Michael Keaton for Birdman. So uh, I would I would definitely say that he was snubbed for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely. Listen, Bradley Cooper, all due respect, love you, but American Sniper wasn't yeah. anything crazy. That's just some American propaganda right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, Grand Budapest. That's what I think. That's in my top forty. I think when I released that earlier is yeah. That I think I might have to do a rewatch because it is genuinely one of the funniest movies of all time. So I'm gonna rip. I'll I'll just rip off all three of mine, and then you can do yours. My next one. I just watched this last night on Amazon Prime. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet. Uh, an emotional roller coaster of a movie. A very interesting concept. Uh, visually it's shot in very interesting ways through like, you know, memories and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff like that. And it's just, it's, it'll make you cry. It'll make you feel things, you know, especially if you're in certain places with relationships and stuff. Uh, there are some quotes in that movie that will hit you hard. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, man. I, I, like I said before, I slept on Jim Carrey's dramatic acting and don't get me wrong. There are very com- comedic moments in this movie, but it's mm-hmm. also a very serious role. And I've loved both, you know, I watched this and Truman show, which are, you know, quote unquote, his serious, more serious roles. And they were both amazing. Uh, Kate Winslet also amazing. I, I said, I said it in our group chat and I saw some people in the letterbox reviews agreeing with me. Uh, this character of Clementine gave off the exact same vibes as uh, Ramona flowers from Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that that, I don't know if that was intentional or not, or if they were inspired by that character, but from the hair to the like impulsive attitude, like everything felt like very similar. And someone mm-hmm. commented on letterbox, you know, Clementine walked so that Ramona could run and it very <laughs> much feels that way. So yeah, that movie's awesome. Uh, it's another good uh, one. grand Budapest. I'm pretty sure I gave like a 9.5 eternal sunshine of the spotless oh, yeah. mind. I gave like a 9.4. And mm-hmm. then last, this is, I'm kind of cheating by merging two movies in the one, but in my defense, it was supposed to be one movie it is on peacock and that is kill bill uh both both movies in, in, in my opinion they i i know that the, uh, tarantino said he wanted to make it one movie but it would have been well over four hours so mm-hmm. he decided to break it up but it's one of those like things where you have to watch both like you simply can't uh i watched them for the first time the other day i had seen the first one a while ago but i never watched the second so i was like you know what i'm just gonna watch both of them again and i'm gonna rip them right off in a row and it's the best way to watch those movies just watch them as one basically i know that there is a uh, cut called kill bill the whole bloody affair which is uh just a cut of both of the movies in one that's how i would recommend watching it obviously you're not always gonna have four and a half hours but i basically rated them the same because i look at them as one movie and i gave it like a 9.8 i believe it was awesome uma thurman is a badass uh everyone uh i'm thinking of names i'm forgetting some names but uh what is the what is the name of the last woman she fights in the the, yeah yeah lucy lou sorry i could not think of her name for the life of me she was awesome uh, everyone in that movie was great and I love it. It's a cool revenge story. One of my favorites, uh, Tarantino really knows how to do the revenge stories because between that and Django Unchained, I mean, yes. it's got two of the best. So yeah, that's my, uh, that is my three, uh, recommendations for the six pack this week. Grand Budapest Hotel on HBO max, eternal mm-hmm. sunshine of the spotless mind on Amazon prime and kill bill on Peacock. Actually, I haven't, I haven't seen kill bill in a long time. I, I might have to do a Tarantino. I, I don't think I've seen all of his films. We're going through it now. I never saw The Hateful Eight. I've never seen that either. I have, to, um, yeah, I have some more to watch also. The Kill Bills and then Jackie Brown I haven't seen. Haven't seen that either. But, you know, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, Django, and Once Upon a Time. They're all, you know, all nine, nine, nine plus out of ten films. Yeah. So I'll rattle off my six-pack real quick. Uh, I wanted a Nolan banger. So I, I went with Tenet. I know Tenet was very controversial. Some people didn't like it, uh, whether it's they just didn't like it in general or they just thought it was too confusing. Uh, I've seen it probably two or three times to try and 
you know, understand it better. It's kind of like Inception, where Inception can be a little trippy. The Tenant is even more so, I'd say. Uh, you know, what's John David Washington? He, he's good. Um, I think Robert Pattinson was the better performance in it. Uh, Kenneth Branagh was the villain, also very solid. It's on my lower, uh, the lower end of Christopher Nolan films for sure. Right. But he still hasn't made a bad movie. Like it's like to me, Tenet and Dunkirk are at the bottom there. They're still both great movies. Right. Um. So I recommend that. That is on HBO Max along with almost every Christopher Nolan movie, um, because of his Warner Brothers deal. Uh, we got Molly's Game on Netflix. Uh, I think I mentioned it before, but I never put it officially in my six-pack. Starring Jessica Chastain as Molly Bloom. She was an Olympic-level skier. uh, Absolutely destroys her leg. Uh, Can't ski anymore. Moves out to L.A., uh, where she starts working for Jeremy Jeremy Strong's character, uh, who runs this underground, high-stakes poker tables. Um, she eventually learns his ways and starts running her own table, uh, her own poker games. Uh, Michael Sarah plays a fictionalized version of Toby Maguire. When Toby Maguire, this is all based on a true story. Um, Toby Maguire, when he was in that, that real bad phase where he was like a, a, a drug addict, the drinking yeah. poker games, uh, Michael Sarah played that character. And Jessica Chastain's character is the brother of a former Philadelphia Eagle, uh, Jeremy Bloom. Jeremy Bloom was uh, a wide receiver from Colorado, I believe. Had a cup of coffee with the birds. Uh, And then finally, uh, eighth grade on HBO Max. It is Bo Burnham's directorial debut. It's a nice 90-minute coming-of-age movie. Um, Overall... It is it is an A twenty four movie, so we know that is it's you know a banger. Uh, starring, what is her name? It's like Keeler Kelsey, something. Where the fuck is the cast? I'm gonna get her name right. Right, <laughs> I can't help you with this one. Uh, starring Elsie Fisher from, okay. from um the little girl in Hereditary. The one whose you know, oh, okay, okay. Head, head gets uh, lopped off by a telephone pole. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that is uh, my third six-pack movie streaming on HBO Max. Uh, I know we're both A24 fans. That is in my upper echelon of both A24 and coming-of-age movies in general. Uh, it's about you know a young girl. It's the last week of her uh, eighth-grade year before she goes to high school. Um, you know... And go from there. Uh, very nice, heartwarming film. Uh, and Bill Burnham definitely has a future as a film director, I would say. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I have to check that out for sure. I'm very interested in Bill Burnham. So. Yeah, it's a good one. Very good one. All right. Well, that's our show, guys. I uh, appreciate you listening. Next week, we may come back with a Creed review. It's a big possibility. I'm probably seeing yeah. it on Saturday. So, uh, yeah, we'll come back with that. We'll talk a little bit more of The Last of Us, talk Mandalorian. And, uh, yeah, so uh, that's the show. Thank you for listening from Mike, uh, from Vince, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Yep, see you. Peace.